What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Abundant Journey podcast. We've been doing this for over 50 episodes, so it's time to change up my intro. As always, though, I'm your host, Nick James, with Nick Offenkamp. Nick, what's going on, man? Hey, I, uh, these are my favorite episodes because, uh, one, we're in person, which always just has a better vibe to it. Oh, yeah. And two, because we're with someone that we know, love, and admire. And so, again, I never like stealing your thunder. I will let you introduce <laughs> our guest as much as I want to right now. But uh, why don't you share with our listeners who we have the privilege of sitting down with today? Well, I will run and run run at this we're going to go for it Toby Lucich is hanging out with us here today and I think I might know Toby a little longer than you the irony of it though is is that my wife was originally nanny for his kids when they were younger so we're kind of dating all of us here boy that does tell a story doesn't it <laughs> yep but but the beauty but the beauty of sitting down here and keeping the friendship alive, keeping the entrepreneurial spirit alive is that you've been an entrepreneur for decades and it wasn't until I really dove into what entrepreneurialism is that basically I said, hey, here's somebody in my corner, in my backyard who's been doing this for years, so we need to sit down and have a good conversation. Well, and even with where you were going with your story, so your wife started as uh, Toby yep. nanny, and yep. uh, and then when she, I don't know if it was because she was engaged to you or whatever, <laughs> Probably. You know, she she, uh, she then uh, gave there was the opportunity she introduced my wife to you and uh, Toby, and and yep. then my wife started nanny, and and I was thinking about that the other day as uh, in preparation for getting together with you. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if he knew it or not, but you were kind of the first one to inspire entrepreneurship in my family. Cause my wife beat me to it. She was self-employed <laughs> and starting her, her nanny in business. So, uh, you know, thanks for getting that entrepreneurial Absolutely. ball rolling early in the, uh, off camp household, but it's excellent. I'd yeah. love to just kind of start out with, uh, you know, what is a, a, a day in the life or a week in the life uh, look like uh, for, for you now? I know we've yeah. said high level entrepreneurship, but, you know, really, um, how would you describe to listeners or somebody who approached you off the street of just, what do you do? Yeah. Great question. I, I think everybody imagines what we see on social media, right? And it's true, you know, the, the models on your arms and from Sundance to, to Cannes Festival, it's exhausting. Beach in my ties. <laughs> but when I take a break. Yes, yeah. When you come back from Burning no, Man. No, it is, uh, it, it's, as you guys know, as you're building your own book of business, you know, entrepreneurship, I think we've put on a, a little bit of a false pedestal. Mm -hmm. And by that, I just mean we have all these story.com uh, successes. And they're oftentimes presented as one person's defining vision. And, and then you look at somebody like Elon Musk, who has just thrown energy behind somebody else's vision and stepped into the forefront. And so when I think about entrepreneurship in the simplest of terms, it's somebody that um, just isn't quite comfortable with the way that things normally work. Yeah. And so they, they bristle a little bit under yep. all those rules. They generally have a different view of how things should play out, or maybe they they love the work that they're doing, but they see other ways to optimize either their time or the autonomy that they exercise, or ultimately, you know, so oftentimes it's strictly the cash. You sure. Know? 
Totally. And, and it's and, and time and cash are two sides of the same coin, right? Yep. So I have Will said my my now twenty twenty something right said uh, when he was in his teens he said Dad it seems really strange to me that we have time and we have energy and we have money and he's he said right now as a teen in high school I don't have any time or money but I have all this energy <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking to myself that sounds about right yeah. Now you want me to go away to college where I have less time and I'm going negative economically and I still have all this energy. But by the time I get to the other side of it uh, and I've paid off my debts and I've run my life, I have retirement. We have time. I have cash. But I don't have the energy anymore to take advantage of it. Yeah. And so that's stuck with me a lot. And so when I think about entrepreneurship, it's a nice way to move outside of that standardized triangle. Sure. And that's kind of how corporate America is defined, right? Is there's this balancing act, and that's what we need in a business. We need people's time and energy, and mm-hmm. then we need some kind of financing. So mm-hmm. being able to combine those on your own terms, I think, is a great definition. I love that. It's a really astute observation <laughs> of uh, your son. Yeah, I, that's, that's an I would like to take credit for, to for that. To that put together so uh, early on. It might have been when my wife was nannying, she instilled those <laughs> principles into him. I'm he sure. had a lot of terrific influences. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no. Yeah, he's he's been holding on to credit for that, but yeah, it could have been any of these incredible <laughs> women that he's been fortunate enough to know. I love that uh, that working definition, though, of um, kind of the spirit behind entrepreneurship and trying to bring perhaps better balance to those three things of how you're expending your time, energy, and um, and cash, and uh, and not having so much of a lopsided, um, you know, those three things. They often can feel like in the standard model of doing things that yeah, yeah you are always heavy on one and lacking in the others. Um, and then it was interesting too. You just talked about how, um, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but entrepreneurship, often just looking at things and just being like, that could be done better or just not totally content with the way that something is, which I think most of us probably view the world and see areas where it's like, that could be improved or this is missing. (laughs) But, um, But there's so few who will actually then go out and take the risk and do something about it, right? It's true. Yeah, I I think you call out something, and it's this idea of risk tolerance. And so anybody that has set up an online account, like a brokerage account, or sat down with with somebody that wants to talk about financial planning, risk tolerance is always this conversation. We don't talk about risk uh, as part of our day-to-day personal lives so much. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, don't jump off the roof, you'll break your leg. We get that. But, you know, where do you put your time, and what is the consequence? And Mm -hmm. so... Um, when it comes to entrepreneurs, I think there are those that just inherently come to it. As as some of your past guests have shared, I too was one of those kids with a candy hustle. And, uh, <laughs> it's and such a theme, man. It, it's like, totally, the theme it's, of success. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but but uh, I had so much success, I did a I did a repeat. So I'll tell you about that a little later. Yeah. But um, what was interesting to me was that uh, I grew up the son of entrepreneurs okay. and the grandson of entrepreneurs. And generationally, we're both at the single best time to launch our own venture, Mm. but also the highest level of saturation we've ever seen. Yeah. Mm. Right. We're inundated with offers and opportunities from people all over the globe. Uh, We were talking earlier about just before we started about digital products and the power of leverage. Mm -hmm. And so with all of this information going on, how we position and how we present and then how we use our network 
yeah. is so mm -hmm. much more important. But when my granddad, you know, first uh, started having a mechanic shop, uh, that was his, that was his skill and trade. Yeah. You know, he was a, he was a genius with his hands, but when he opened up a little mechanic shop, it was a very practical reality. Mm. You know, I've got to figure out how do I put food on the table? Not how do I self-actualize and build an sure. empire? Right. Um, and so I think that for a number of folks, there was a, there was always been a traditional path. And for me coming of age meant going to college and then following college, you know, my dad said, God, be sure that you negotiate benefits. Huh. He didn't have those running his own small real estate office. Sure. And so for him, that was a huge part of getting a college education and then a job that's commensurate with that education. Yeah. Today, that's just stock and trade, right? Absolutely. But to him, that was part of the, the golden handcuffs. And I think every generation sees it differently. And so um, this idea of risk is on a continuum. I, I early on, I tried to step out. I wanted to be uh, my own business owner. I wanted to run my own show, but I didn't know what I was going to offer. How early do you think that hit? I mean, you mentioned the selling candy, but was it like, you know, <laughs> at, at, at six years old, you were like, I'm never working for the man. I'm going to start my own thing. Or where was that like first epiphany of that? I want to be a business owner. I want to do yeah. my own thing. I, you know, Probably in the womb was when. It, <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I, I think I don't know that it's it's ever so clearly formed. And sure, it's certainly not for me, right? Um, I was always envious of those friends that are like, I'm going to grow up and be an architect, or mm. I'm going to be a. I had no idea. I, I knew that I wanted to have some money, mm -hmm. and I also needed time to use the money, yep. mm -hmm. right? And I needed energy to get mm -hmm. good value out of both of those things. But uh, as a kid, you know, we, there wasn't a lot of extra cash. My folks had five kids, and uh, real estate in the 80s could be rocky because interest yeah. rates make today look <laughs> awfully attractive. Like right. a candy land. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And so there were certainly some lean times. And, uh, and for me, entrepreneurship was just how can I take a creative approach to getting what I want? Hmm. So if I want to buy comic books, you know, and a century ago, <laughs> uh, when I was, when I was at that stage, they were about 60 cents a piece. And so, um, one of those first things was we realized we could make these, uh, uh, caro syrup suckers, right? Okay. Pour them into molds and then yep. hawk them at school for a quarter a sucker. I felt like a gazillionaire with a big old wad of quarters in my pocket sure. until I got caught. <laughs> And then I discovered that there, there's the rules and then there's the not published rules, which is, you know, no engaging in commerce with questionable and unclear kitchen practices backing a product. Um, but but uh, it, it did give it, it provided a taste of it. You yeah. know, when you could start to see what goes in versus what you derive out the back end, when that equation starts to shift, sure. mm -hmm. right? And you're able to put less in and get more out. Mm-hmm. Most of us get excited about that. Yeah, no doubt. You know, so. you you've really hit on something twice now that I don't think I've heard any of our guests sh talk about. They've lived, but this entrepreneurism out of necessity, and it's kind of interesting because you you talked about how Grandpa it was necessary necessary to put food on the table. You talked even even the comic book story. It was. I wasn't getting any other money out of necessity. I got to find a way to make that work. And so that's an interesting piece because I think a lot of times as we go back to what you 
really first started with, there's so many people that have this romantic view of what mm. being an entrepreneur looks like. And people are just going to line up in droves because you have That's an incredible right. offer or because you're the next greatest thing. But so many of the stories I think we've heard on this podcast really people are born out of that necessity and that's what really drives them forward. Yeah. I, I think what necessity provides us, uh, if we're, if we're weighing that against a, a general risk tolerance, mm-hmm. right? So somebody may be risk adverse, but if they're unemployed and they have people reply, re- relying on them, right? Or if circumstances have shifted dramatically, the hustler comes out. Yeah. yeah. And we get scrappy and we get in, inventive. Yep. And I think that necessity can show up in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, for uh, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer. And so the, the path did not discuss trade school. Right. All things being equal, I probably would have done a trade for the first three to five years because the barrier to entry was learning the skill. Mm-hmm. Once you've done that, you're, you become the boss. Like mm-hmm. that's how you maximize those trades. It's not always being the guy with the screwdriver in your hand. It's figuring out how do I put more guys with screwdrivers in yeah. motion? And so I, I think that that's a great call out. And some of the most successful entrepreneurs that, that I've had the opportunity to work with have maintained that sense of hunger yeah. because it's a curiosity plus hungry, right? You yeah. can be curious about the world right? And stay in your head and, and research and explore. And it's fascinating, but you got to be a little bit hungry to take that next step and do some of the uncomfortable things, Yep, which is documentation. That's a killer, right? Yeah. So, you know, for all the work that you guys do during the interviews, there's also all the post-production and then there's the posting and promotion. Nobody talks about that. They're just like, I love the podcast. And every, every venture has these elements that aren't sexy. And so they're like, Oh, you're the CEO. And it's like, yeah. And I dumped the waste baskets. (laughs) That's what being an entrepreneur often looks like. Right. So I love that you guys have had folks across the spectrum um, because uh, it it really is true. It's born of so many different things, but that kind of that itch is ultimately the driver. I think that's, that's a, a common element. Yeah. I think it's helpful to to put the finger on that. I mean, it's funny because I think about one, uh, my oldest son, who's really into both Pokemon and football cards <laughs> right now. Yep. And he All keeps right. asking me like, hey, dad, you know, can I have money to, to buy more cards? And it's like, well, bud, like you could pick up the dog poo in the backyard right. for, you know, a couple of bucks because it's yeah. just not, you know, I'll do it myself. Or you can figure out another way to make money. You, you could sell something, you could sell candy um, or or whatever it is. And it's been cool to see, like he's running into that issue of there's something in the world that I want. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, am I, am I, in my risk tolerance, am I comfortable with just the guarantee that I can do this job that I hate for my dad for a couple of bucks? Yeah. Or, you know, am I going to go to the trouble of actually coming up with uh, something that I can sell and maybe have a much higher reward or, or maybe it doesn't work out, but um, so that that's been an interesting piece to to see. And I suppose even in my own life, like we could talk about the shift in <laughs> in real estate, you know. And uh, right. we're working for a builder, uh, sales fell off a cliff, and so it was like, all right, I got to go out and and do it on my own because now what? like the yeah. example that you used, like there's uh, there's kids and wife around the table and gotta yeah gotta put food there. Um, I, so but I, I love that you call out that even early on. You know, we have the opportunity to nurture that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. And 
just for a quick second, you know, oftentimes when we think about entrepreneurship, we're thinking about going off and creating your own business and your own brand. We don't talk as much about intrapreneurship, which mm. is taking a creative approach inside of an existing business. Mm. And I think some of the, the, the most powerful entrepreneurs, you know, we don't think of them that way, but that's exactly what they did. Right, they just brought a different perspective to it. Do you have some examples yeah, of that I, that come I think, to mind? Like entrepreneurship yeah. is not a concept that we've really talked about much. So I'm really glad you bring it up. Yeah. That's fascinating. The uh, a great example of that I think is is like Jack Welsh, right? He didn't start GE, but he radically redefined the culture hmm. and defined and and from an application perspective, it's not just he had a concept of what management looks like, but he was applying that concept rigorously, right? We credit Jeff Bezos with starting Amazon, but what we don't always pay attention to is the entrepreneurship and some of the evolution that took place inside of that business that, that wasn't exclusively him. Right. Right. There's, yep. there's faceless folks that what they're really doing is they're looking at a process and they're saying it breaks down. And so what's the next iteration of it? Yeah. And so I think anybody that we're working with that starts to do this, and you guys are both in the world of, of doing deals, not everybody mm -hmm. is, but I think that that's an exciting place to be because yeah. you have the opportunity each time to say, are we going to structure this per usual or what other levers do we have? What variables can we play with? And I think entrepreneurs can be wildly successful. Um, it's a question of what is it that they want out of it? Mm. And so the worst case is you're fantastic. And I have, I have several friends, uh, a guy that I'm working with in the startup. And, and um, he said, I keep working myself out of jobs because I'll automate all the tasks. And there's a perfect example. Like organizations are asking him to leave. Don't keep cleaning up our mess because he's been laid off twice because he removed a job through automation. Wow. Why wouldn't you celebrate that guy? Yeah, totally. you know, if you just saved us a million dollars a year, what's the downside to a two hundred thousand dollar bonus? Mm -hmm. And know that he will never go anywhere. Yeah, right. But businesses don't think like that. No. Um, so that's I think that's why entrepreneurship oftentimes is viewed as this thing that happens outside versus inside. But most right. of the biggest companies, you know, have have so many of these people that we can't name, yeah. you know, off the top of our heads, just because they're not celebrated the same way. Well, and it, it just reminds me, you know, of the contrarian when we recently mm. had another episode with Kylan and he mm -hmm. had talked about, you know, that contrarian perspective and that point of view of, and, and the necessity of having those people at the table, mm -hmm. because a lot of times, you know, the main leader, the entrepreneur, the inspirer, you know, the, the person who's the voice they have one way and they say, we're going to go this way. But I think a great entrepreneur is going to surround themselves with those contrarians who attack the different angles and not even from a negative perspective, but yeah. just a creative perspective and say, well, is there a better way or can we do it different or should we do it different? Which is what Kylan was talking to us about. Right. And yeah. with the entrepreneurship uh, idea, I think, it's, I love that you bring that up because um, there's many folks that I've talked to and probably some of our listeners as well where they feel like, okay, I've been working this W-2 job for a decade now and like I've kind of, when it came to the risk assessment, like 
I made my bed and now I got to lie in it. I, I wasn't brave enough to go yeah. out and chase the dream. But I think that that entrepreneurship mindset of that, like, hey, what can you build within your organization? Where do you see opportunities for um, greater efficiency or building on a competitive advantage or whatever it is in your given W-2 position? And uh, even if that doesn't result in a uh, in an, you know equity position in the business or it kind of pans out the way that it did for your buddy of like that you provided millions of dollars in value and then got shown the door. Right. The fact yeah. of the matter is, is that like you still have proven to yourself that you can build something of real value that didn't exist prior to your efforts, which I think does then get at the heart of, you know, what an entrepreneur does. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of a hopeful thing for people within, you know, that, that have Absolutely. A, a desire for more. I think that I think the difficulty with entrepreneurship is that organizations by design, what we've come up with in the West, you know, the the structure is very much about shareholders that drive benefits and then employees that should be grateful to have a job. Mm-hmm. That's the that's totally. this this public tenor, right? That's yeah. kind of the quality of it right now, especially in a a down market. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Folks with strong tech backgrounds and product management backgrounds. 18 months ago, were batting away offers just to be able to walk down the street. Today, they can't even get a, a phone call back. Yeah. And so um, what's, what's interesting, though, is when you've been in a position long enough, we start to see other things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I'm always out of here by five, and that's attractive. Mm-hmm. I have so many weeks of vacation, and boy, that's sure nice. You know, the, the cost of letting go of what we have only increases over time. Right. And so it requires a little bit of extra. You got to be a little hungrier mm. and it doesn't have to be economically. You know, it can be, how do I, how do I get benefit from the improvements I make? Mm-hmm. And so corporate America today, I think tends to say, thank you for introducing the benefits. Our shareholders appreciate that, but we'll see you back in here tomorrow morning at eight. <laughs> I'd probably still be in the corporate world. Yeah. If, the improvements and efficiencies I introduced, if I shared in those benefits, right? Because a bigger stage means more dramatic changes. Yeah. But when you step out on your own, nobody knows what you're doing. Yeah. Even though you try to explain it, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> you don't even know what you're really doing is the heart of it, right? That's so true. Uh, and so, but but you have a small stage, so you could have the absolute best mousetrap in the world. But now it's also on you to make sure that everybody, everybody else discovers it. They're not going to magically find you. Mm-hmm. Well, and and talking about that, we've had a lot of conversations around sales, and I know it's a it's a passion of yours. It's where you get to engage, meet new people, and and just Absolutely. the the hunt and the chase. So I think that's a great transition point. Tell us some of your skills within sales that have had to develop and grow over the years, maybe some things that you've learned as you've been in different sales roles. And I, I think you are absolutely of that belief. Hey, you're always selling, whether you're in a sales role or not, you're selling. So let's dive in there a little bit. I love that. Yeah. Uh, it's some of it begins with the simple notion of, do you have a strong opinion? Mm. Right. And, and I don't care what that opinion's about. But if you have an opinion that you'd like to see others adopt, that's selling. Yeah. Right? If you have a perspective or if you've seen an easier way, then just letting other people know. And so I had a, I had a cousin that swore he would never go into sales. Guess what? 
He's in sales. <laughs> he sells insurance and has done uh, incredibly well for himself. But the thing that made a difference for him was he said, when I took off the hat of, I'm trying to pimp another used car that nobody wants, and instead it became, I'm an expert at something, and people know me as that expert, and I'm a resource to them. He said, as soon as I thought hmm. about it as education, all the barriers went away. That's cool. Right? And I think that the best salespeople, it's, they're not looking at it as, can I get you in this car today Yeah, <laughs> right. and give you ludicrous financing? Instead, what they're asking is, what is the question behind this person's question? Yeah. So whether it's insurance or, I, you know, my consulting world is, is predominantly around organizational change. Hmm. So organizations want to be static. They want to do the same thing every day because it's predictable. Yeah. And that's how you turn uh, a, a business into a machine, right? So everybody has these fantasies that will show up as a cog. We'll do exactly what we did yesterday, you know, smack the hammer and then away it goes. Um, but the reality is that we're not. It takes a lot of discipline. And so when I go out to talk about change, my first job is always trying to gauge how, how much a client might understand about that. Because there's an inherent assumption of it's self-evident, right? When you show a house. You could say, isn't it beautiful? It's clearly a brand new house. Mm -hmm. But then you still go through and you're pointing out things. You know, we've got a certain fixture here. We have high-end finishes here. And calling attention to those things is an educational process. Yeah. And so when I think about sales, you know, the, the, the two things that occur to me is, one, it's just like interviewing for jobs. You know, put your best foot forward and try to try to provide some value as soon as you can. And that's just being aware of what you know and what you don't know. Sure. Right. But of course too, you have to be, you have to be offering those things in a place that people are looking for them. So you may be the world's foremost expert on organizational change management, but a one person company doesn't need that. That person's already going crazy and they're in the midst of all the changes. <laughs> so when I talk about bigger platforms, there's certain skills that play better in, in bigger arenas. And it, I mean, it's hard to like say what's the more challenging thing to do, right? Like is, is the more challenging thing to develop the valuable skill or is the more challenging thing actually to market it? Um, you have been successful in your career because it seems like whether you would say it this way or not, you've kind of cracked the code on how to do both the, uh, the sales and marketing and continue to grow the, the platform that you've had mm. to reach different uh, clients and companies. I mean, you've had some huge clients. We haven't gotten too much into your uh, career path, but I know that when I first met you, you were consulting with Nike and doing uh, change management with them. So you've been working with global brands on, on huge projects. But yeah. I imagine that that wasn't your first job, uh, your right. first consulting yeah. gig. And so uh, I am curious just what what have been some of the lessons that you've learned, um, how you go about uh, cultivating a skill or developing a product or an offering, and then figuring out, okay, how do I get a bigger platform to mm. share this with people? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that so often we feel the skill deficit first. Mm. We may have a big yeah. idea, right? I want to launch this new product, so I'm just going to throw up a website. And you go, oh, now i got to figure out how to throw up a website. <laughs> and before that, you're like, well, now i got to find images that mean anything. So all of a sudden, in pursuit of your idea, the things that hit you first are the skills that you're missing. Yeah. And if it's selling or marketing, those show up too. Yeah. And so uh, I, I think folks that iterate fastest – 
tend to succeed. And by that, I mean they have an idea, they get it out there, they try it, they get feedback, and then they make those refinements. Mm. And so I came out of, I went to school, my undergrad degree was in finance, and I thought I was, I thought I was going to be an investment advisor. That's really mm. what I wanted to do. And I'd worked in mortgage. I saw what the bank tellers do. And, and Nick, you know, uh, a thing or two about that. A little bit. Nick James. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, there's very traditional paths, but the skill piece. And so um, I was into my late 20s before, before all of a sudden I went, oh, I have a pretty unique skill when it comes to running numbers and starting to put estimated values on activities. It's one thing to pencil things out. Like in the mortgage business, there's a sale price, how much down, how much, you know, for the loan. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about making big investments, like well, let's transform a business or let's expand our locations, you don't have readily available numbers yeah. always to look at and say, well, gosh, this is going to give us a 45% rate of return. Yeah. And so developing that skill for estimating is enormously valuable, right? So anytime you're launching into a new venture or new structured approach, you've got to figure out whether it's going to behoove you. So I, I, the, it's, it's an interesting question, that idea of skills versus marketing. I came to marketing a little bit later because I found that the skills themselves weren't always self-apparent. They weren't obvious. And so, you know, uh, think about like a, a favorite song on the radio. What we don't appreciate is how long it took them to grind through the lyrics yeah, mm -hmm. and how many different scores they put the lyrics against before they found a hook. So it's all that pre-work. And I think as we, as we take cycles at it, as we run at it, we start to find little cheats. And so we can find faster ways to iterate. And I think probably a number of your guests would say, yeah, I, I figured out a thousand ways not to do it. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then I got the one way to do it. And now I carve a month out a year or whatever. So mm -hmm. all of us have those little tricks. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's so good. And it's interesting because we talk a lot about skills, but I think um, we don't as often talk about, hey, what are the skills you don't have? And, you know, a lot of times it's the education piece that we get from our, our guests that say, hey, you know, I had to learn. Uh we had an attorney who said, I'm going to go to law school to learn the skills that I need to do real estate well. And so the necessity of learning and that continuing education always continues to, to come up. What's that look like for you? Because I know you've been a big proponent of education and you've always been a student of what you're doing. So how, how has that looked in your journey? Yeah, great question. I, I think part of it is our interests change over time. Mm. And so I, I have a master's degree. I went back and got certifications in areas that I was focusing on, largely because it's not that I didn't, the certifications isn't how I acquired the information. It's how I evidenced yeah. that I had acquired the information. Sure. Right? We have to learn it before we pass the test, but the test is the only, that's the gate that everybody's watching. Yep. And so the, so many of the skills that I've had to pick up later um, were things that I didn't value. Mm. And so that traditional, you know, Harvard Business Review trajectory would say, you start your career, you go super deep in very technical skills, establish yourself, you know, this is traditional corporate world, establish yourself as a reliable, you know, cog in the wheel that can manufacture, can create those things. But then you have to flip over to developing all these soft skills when you shift into management, mm -hmm. right? Positional power, now you have influence power. And so uh, 
I, I think that those soft skills, I had a hard time placing value on them hmm. because I was so focused on building technical skills. Hmm. right? Doing calculations and doing assessments and time and motion study. And uh, all of a sudden I went, oh, there's a world of facilitation and there's hmm. an art to effective conversations, yeah. right? There's an art to getting your point across. And uh, entrepreneurs are not, you know, my favorite people are continuing to go, oh, that's interesting. And then you'll see it bubble up in conversation later. So when they talk about you being a reflection of the five people that are closest to you, sure, right? That's why it's so important to have curious, hungry, growth-minded uh, collaborators around you, right? They're going to help pull you along instead of you trying to drag and tug uh, everybody else that doesn't doesn't see it or or just isn't wired like that. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, I think about like using Nick's example of. Um, uh, Joette, who it was very mm -hmm. apparent to her, like she needed, um, both the, the skill and the, the degree the certification that came from going to law school, but the, the soft skills are something that are much harder to learn in any sort of like formal educational environment. And so I am curious, uh, both as you look back on your own, um, career development as well as as you think about uh, counsel to uh, somebody who is kind of in the, the early stages of their uh, career, but do aspire to um, leading people. Uh, was it mentors or masterminds or what kind of uh, things would you commend for cultivating those soft skills? I, in this, this always happens, right? We always have some favorite mentors. Mm-hmm. Some of them were horrible, horrible managers. And I'm not going to call them out by name. Sure. <laughs> if I could remember their names, I would. <laughs> but, but so oftentimes, uh, my own experience was, that didn't feel good. Mm. I'm going to make a point not to do that to others. Totally. Sure. Right? Or, wow, that felt like a vote of faith. How do I apply that? Mm -hmm. And one of, uh, one of the executives I worked for in my, in my early thirties. Um, we were in energy. It was a big utility across several States. And, um, I was heading out, I was leading out on the initiative for our entire functional team, which drove the revenue for the utility. And he said, here's the thing. If you hit a blocker or a barrier, you can't get around, let me know as soon as you can. Hmm. Because he said, if what you do is continue to try to fight it and push through it, by yourself, you look like a duck on the pond. Mm -hmm. And from where I sit, it looks like it's smooth sailing. So the best case is it looks like it was all smooth sailing. And then if it blows up in the end and I only hear about it, then I'm going to ask Toby, what were you doing? It was all smooth sailing. But he said, if you tell me early on that you're kicking really hard and you're paddling with everything and you're not making mm -hmm. headway, that's when I can intervene. He said, I can't do anything about it when the dust is settled and the history's written. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, that idea of transparency is invaluable because I would have never thought to go to the senior executive and say, hey, this guy's not playing ball with me. Mm -hmm. That sounds like whining, right? Sure. <clears throat> but instead, when he posited it as, I'm here to remove the barriers and tell me early and often, what a great open door. Yeah. Right. And so as a, as a manager, as a collaborator, you know, sometimes it's simply asking, you know, what, what gives you concern with this task or 
Are there things that don't make sense? Why don't we get started a little bit and then bring back some of those questions? So I've never been uh, actively involved in a formal mastermind, but I feel like I have the good fortune to have a lot of of masterminds, you yeah. know, in my in my personal network. But um, so many friends uh, sing the praises of these of these designed communities because people are all coming there looking for something very similar. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really nice model, but um, yeah, good and bad. There's a lot of examples all around us and, and they're not always work related. Yeah. You know, so many of the things that we learn, the behaviors we learn at work apply at church or they apply with our kids. And I, I think so much of, so much <laughs> so of my true. learning as a manager is the byproduct of being a parent. Sure. You know, you guys are deep enough in this now to go, yeah. oh man, yep. you yeah. know, what's worked with my kids at home and what hasn't. And, yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's something to that. Uh, we we're all Hermosi fans to yes. some degree. Yeah. And so I think there's something to where he's just learned half this stuff just takes time. It's yeah. just, and you're speaking to that. I think it's, going through it and learning it and sometimes bashing your heads against the wall, sometimes having people come and tell you to go around the wall. I mean, you know, whatever it is, it's just progressing and not giving up and continuing. So, yeah, there's that, uh, call it tenacity or grit. There's, there's so much research that's come out in just the last 10 to 20 years on this. And it really is that idea of you, you just have to get up one more time than you get knocked down. Mm-hmm. That's success. And you think, boy, that sure sounds easy, <laughs> right? <laughs> if only I'll just keep getting back up. Yeah. But uh, it, it does. It does take time. And I think it's hard to discern the results that were effort-based early on versus results that were lucky. And too often, I think we want to take the lucky results and claim them, hmm. Uh, because we've been working hard, but that's just correlation. It's not causation. And I think that's maybe at the heart of what entrepreneurs do really well is they can discern what also happened while I was working and then what happened because I was working. That's, that's the signal to noise ratio. I think that we're always trying to find if I take an action, do I see a result? Yeah. 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 That's a, I mean, that's an incredibly valuable exercise. Uh, probably for any and all of us to go through, but especially as you're leading a, a business and uh, trying to think through yeah, the, the return on the different actions that you're taking and what actually is attributable to things that you've done versus just the, the sort of dumb luck. It, Nick bringing up uh, Hermosi uh, yeah. kind of raises another interesting um, question for me that I'd love for you to, to speak to, both from, again, your own experience, but also all of the entrepreneurs and people that you've been around. Mm-hmm. Is right now... There's so much to do with hustle culture and you see that, you know, all over social media and whatnot. And so it's easy to get caught up in the mindset of that, you know, you just, you got to grind, grind, grind. And if you're not succeeding, it's because you're not grinding hard enough. And uh, my concern in some of that is that while it sounds really good, um, there's, you apply the same thing to like, a high school kid playing basketball and it's like, well, the reason you're not LeBron James is because you're just not grinding hard enough. It's like, well, maybe at the end of the day, 
you're not LeBron James because you're not six eight and right. You know, you're five two and you only have a two inch <laughs> vertical. But aside from that, <laughs> yeah. you are. You could be the next LeBron. Yeah, so, you're right. I'm curious uh, just how how you found. Uh, a sustainable pace in entrepreneurship um, and what kind of advice you would have that might either uh, serve as a balance to some of that um, hustle culture or like when you're grinding and if it's not working, you know, at what point, what are the markers of, well, you just got to grind it out for another year and success is on the other side of that versus you should probably pivot and go a different direction. Any thoughts on, on any of that? Knowing when to sell or knowing when to call it is incredibly difficult. Mm. And so you talked earlier about having some contrarians in your world. Mm-hmm. You know, having people that challenge you, how will you know if it's worth continuing? That's a tough question, right? Totally. Whether it's chasing a deal or, you know, I bought stock because I thought it was going to take place, something exciting was going to happen. When do you sell? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a super hard one. Uh, this is why I think that idea of hungry, curious and hungry are, are so essential because um, if you're curious and hungry and it's not happening fast enough, you're going to pivot. Yeah. Right. Uh, the times where I feel like I'm, I'm just grinding it through um, are frustrating and depressing, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I tend to internalize it. It's not like the market is bad. It's nobody likes me. I, I'll sure. just go home and eat worms, you know? <laughs> and, and so I think oftentimes folks that are diligent about making a diary approach, whether it's I'm going to do so many calls or I have three big stones to move this week, being, having something to focus on helps break that perception of I'm failing. Sure. Right. Having some objectivity so that you're not just subjectively floating around in your head and comparing to everybody else that's succeeding or. That's right. Yeah. And when you're starting something on your own, which so many folks do, right. The side hustle thing. um, We call it hustle, but it's not, it's like a series of part-time jobs. Mm -hmm. So when Uber came out and all the ride shares and it's like, here's a side hustler, Airbnb run out, you know, three square feet of your living room. (laughs) The, they were presented as hustles, but it was really like monetize the resources you have. You have time in a car, you have three feet of unsquared or square feet of unused floor space. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's trade off because you're giving up something time, energy, and resources. You're giving up the resource, but often you're giving up your time. And I think until we know what our time is worth and the things that we're choosing not to do, whether it's time with kids, downtime, our physical health, you know, there's a lot of trade-offs along the way and and we're not always keenly aware of them. Sure. And so as I entered school, I I pivoted halfway through my undergrad and I felt like I was behind. Mm. I don't know what the measure was, but I felt like now I'm late to the dance. Hmm. which meant I just need to go year round to, to get out in five years. And I, I did, um, with no big aplomb, but I survived it and got the degree and moved on. But I felt like I had to get down to a serious adult job. Hmm. Right. I don't know what my rush was, but I felt like I was behind. And I think there's a keeping up with the Joneses quality, you know, that I think we're all cognizant of, um, but that's how we start to brick ourselves into a corner. And all of a sudden you sit there and go, well, I've built an entire life that's completely predicated on my, whatever my income is. And I can't 
step away from that because everything will crumble. Mm. And so probably one of those best elements around being, giving yourself room to run a little bit further is just simply living within your means. Yeah. You know? So again, my 20 year old, he's like, Hey, I got a job. I'm not going to school right now. I'm just doing adventures. I think I'm going to move out with my guys. A thousand bucks doesn't go very far. If you don't have any bills, a thousand bucks is a lot of free cash, (laughs) right? right. (laughs) But when all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, TV and utilities and internet, all those things, there goes my money. And so there's perspective taking and it it changes over time. But staying within your means, uh, that's in so many regards, right? So if I'm 5'2 with a two-inch vertical, I'm not going to play man-on-man with LeBron. Yeah. But I will find a weight class that I can punch at. I will find a place where I can be competitive. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's a little bit of the trick too. Yeah. So, um, big fish in a small pond, you know, that's great. You might get to call the shots, but are you really flourishing? Yeah. And so, oftentimes, it's a matter of just kind of sticking your head up and looking around to see what other ponds are out there. Mm-hmm. So well, and I think in that that goes back to your advice of mentors and people who are around you and the the necessity because it's so easy to hear the wisdom of just put your nose down and grind 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 and then all of a sudden you look up and you you've been grinding in the wrong spot or <laughs> or realistically you've been playing a game that you don't have any business of playing and that's that's okay that's part of the failure and learning process i think about yeah. one of our friends that we had I think coffee with one, one, uh, afternoon. And he just was like, Hey, what's your next, next step forward? Is it, you know, something you're close enough related to and your skills are close enough related to that you can, it makes sense to go there and just continue to inch forward. Or is it just completely out of nowhere? It's like, if I were to go try to create code for computers, which I don't even know if I'm saying it right, let alone, I don't even know how to do it. So, you know, again, it's like, am I trying to jump into something that I just have no business of being in? Yeah. But you touch on something that's really interesting and it's that, uh, there's both, can I enter that marketplace? But also if I do, what do I bring that's a value? And so for a time I was doing, a lot of what looked like more traditional financial audit, but it was all process focused. And among the folks that did that, I got, I took hits for not being a CPA and not coming up through the big five. What could you know about process and compliance? Hmm. But when I started talking about how do you change a culture to value those kinds of behaviors, they had nothing to contribute. Mm -hmm. All their experience was stuck in one area. And so I think regardless of whether you choose a a career working for somebody and optimizing your lifestyle in terms of what that, what that exchange looks like, or whether you're launching on your own, I think we all need to find two or three bases of competence that we can lean on Mm. because anytime we walk into a room and everybody has an identical skill set, we don't stand out. Yeah. Right. Nobody says at a realtor convention, I need to track down Nick because he's a realtor. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's, I need to track down Nick because he's doing any interesting things with social or he's structuring conversations and talking about things in a different way. And I think that that's something that uh, when we have two or three pieces that we uniquely blend, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's where our unique skills really start to shine. 
Sure. Yeah, and I think that that takes a an extra level of of awareness, right? Of just what makes you tick and uniquely you, and um, and and to a degree, then it also requires being comfortable with standing out from the crowd, which I think a lot of people have a, a hard time with, right? It's, it's, uh, easier to, uh, to go along on the proven path with like you could have done with getting in with one of the big five CPA right? firms yeah. and, uh, it's a well-trodden path and you would have been respected as any of the other ones, but, uh, but they would have been most likely at that point hiring you because of your affiliations rather than because of you, uh, uniquely, being you and providing what only you can can provide which yeah. i know has been so much at the heart of even what we're doing with abundant journey is just um trying to encourage folks to take hold of you know that thing that makes you unique the unique value that you offer to the world and while that sounds so like kitschy and <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah know, I, I feel like i've seen that on a cat poster somewhere <laughs> um, it uh you know there there is a real reward in uh in operating as yourself and maybe you can speak to that uh, some like um just the the fulfillment that you have found in kind of paving your your own way as a encouragement to others who are wondering like man if i really go after you know what makes sets me apart i'm gonna stick out for a while um, yeah. is it worth it <laughs> Is it worth it? That you know, the the piece that I find fascinating is that um, whether you're sticking out or not, there are we may not be able to say when I grow up I want to be whatever, but we know what we enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up the eldest of five kids. So like it or not, I was kind of born into the boss role. Mm-hmm. My siblings might disagree, but it was clear <laughs> to me that that was my That's job. That's right. <laughs> um, but but that idea of helping to advance a preference, you know, I, I felt responsible for that early on. And I grew up in scouting and youth group and sports. And I always felt like, you know, there was, a, there was an obligation to make sure that our collective perspective was being heard. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was both how do I, am I serving as an effective repeater of our collective interest? You know, that was one of those gifts that I wouldn't have said when I grow up, I want to repeat what everybody else thinks is important, but also how do you fashion that and how do you get that, that message heard? And so for me, one of the, one of the most, uh, rewarding activities is engaging in things that look more educational and sharing information in large part, because if you've ever had to repair something, I'm not a mechanical guy. I wanted to be an inventor. I asked my granddad to show me how to do all this stuff. And he's like, you don't want to do this. Go to college. (laughs) As he's looking at his gnarled knuckles after 60 years, you know, he's like, yeah, go have the easy job with the air conditioning. But, um, but while I wasn't a physical mechanical inventor, what I loved was that, you know, everything comes down to some kind of information asymmetry, Somebody that has all the knowledge and expertise, their life is easy. But if they don't share it, everybody else's life is still difficult. Mm. And so whether it's doing formal training or just doing informal training, and I think the work that you guys are doing is very much a form of training, right? You're sitting down with folks and trying, working really hard to extract the nuggets <laughs> um, in hopes that somebody will hear 
a strategy or a philosophy or perspective that resonates with them. And so for me, I came into it a little bit later and I discovered that as I started doing more training, you know, you don't always appreciate how much you've come to learn until somebody asks you questions and you go, gosh, I wasn't making up any of those answers. Those were all legit. Look at me, right? Yeah. You know those moments where yeah. you're like, oh, good on Did me. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounded yeah. very adult of me and competent, <laughs> you know? And so. I love those moments. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think, I think that's a little bit of the, a little bit of the, the work. And so there's, hmm. um, the world of organizational change, what I really love is that it's so heavy in the world of like behavioral psychology. Why do we do what we do? And there's this, there's this theory called the Dunning-Kruger effect where it's, I may know nothing about motorcycles, which would be absolutely true. But if I spend a weekend with somebody that's a motorcycle aficionado and they teach me enough to ride, I might feel really expert relative to where I'm at today. Hmm. I'm not an expert relative to everybody else. There are all those people that have ridden motorcycles or built motorcycles or have lived that lifestyle for decades, right? And so Dunning-Kruger is you grab that first piece of knowledge and you start to speak and behave as if you were the, the author, right? And we've met those folks. Oh, for sure. You have to push through that. And it's painful when all of a sudden you realize how little you actually know about your given domain or areas of interest, um, it's a little bit alarming, right? So we talk about real estate as a form of investment and I'm, you know, for so many reasons, I'm a big fan of that. And it takes a whole series of expert bodies of knowledge to be able to acquire, to be able to tune up and then maintain a property. Yeah. And, uh, it, it varies, you know. So I may know a little about electrical. Does that mean I should be doing it? Probably not. Probably not. Is it enough to change a light fixture? Sure. You know, and, and knowing where you're at, I think there's a there's a measure of humility that's got to get interjected there. Yeah. So it is interesting, like how some of that though uh, is attested, like your skill and the where that information asymmetry is in your life. I think uh, in in indicator of that is what are people coming to you asking for help with? Um, which I, I think you'd kind of uh, touched on, but um, I just think if, if listeners are asking, well, how do I even identify where I have unique value to, mm. to bring um, that information asymmetry is a, is a big thing. What comes easy to you that doesn't seem to come so easily to everyone else yeah. and, I think about your son who's resistant to picking up poop, yeah. um, which speaks to how hungry he is yes. for his next yeah. Pokemon or football card. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I'm not a big sports guy. I find it entertaining, but I would be equally entertained with a fishing pole. They're, I'm neutral, right? <laughs> sure. I'm ambivalent. But I'm willing to bet that your, uh, your son, the football card fanatic, can probably talk a blue streak about these things. Oh yeah. And I love these young people that get so fired up and it can just be that they're playing NBA jams on the console. Yeah. But they can tell me about the unique gifts of the, of the characters, the players. Yeah. They can tell me about what the scores are. You know, we all have to find that thing. And I think oftentimes we discount our interests mm. because it's difficult to abstract. Right. So some people are very drawn to factual, knowable things. Hmm. right? Am I memorizing and can I recite 
and others are drawn towards trends. You know, for me, it's mental models. So it's more trends mm-hmm. behavior. I look for what's common as opposed to what's unique mm-hmm. uh, across clients and organizations. Because of what it does is it lets me identify a best practice that's not industry specific. And then I can start to compare every problem against that. Mm. Um, but pattern matching, I wouldn't have said when I grew up, I want to do pattern matching. <laughs> and that's going to be one of my key skills. Sure. You know, or, or truly listening, deep listening. I think is a skill. Oh yeah. Not the, uh uh-huh. Sure. Mom, I'll pick it up and whatever, you know, there's deep listening and, uh, it takes a different kind of investment, the elimination of distractions and being fully present and it's exhausting. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally different level. Well, and so within that, I'm, I've been excited to ask you this question simply because, you have a unique vantage, not only with all of the different things you've tried, the investments you've done, but with the vast array of people you've worked with. So mm-hmm. we talked about it a little bit before, but what is the secret sauce to success? And I, I want you to attack it from a couple angles. One, I want you to really kind of reflect back on your story and say, hey, like mm-hmm. what's been some essential things? And I think we've hit just in conversation there, but I want you to call it out. And then I think too, I want you to really dive in and share as you've worked with all of these companies, like what's the difference between the ones who really grow and get it and they just are on a rocket ship and the others that flounder or struggle. So I'm, I'm putting a big task on you there. <laughs> yeah. So I guess ketchup is not the secret ingredient. <laughs> not I get away with on this. Um, yeah. I, I, the, the humility piece um, is a is a double edged sword, and knowing how and when to swing it makes a world of difference. Mm. And so let mm. me let me back up a little bit. I said, being curious is invaluable. Being hungry is invaluable from an entrepreneurial journey. I think, but knowing what you don't know is really is really hard at every stage of life. Because again, Dunning Kruger, mm-hmm. I can go research something for five minutes ago. Great, I understand the whole world of uh, Bitcoin. We all know it's more than a five-minute research task, Mm -hmm. right? But in five minutes, I can have a sense of it. And so if we approach the world, and I think that, you know, to your specific question about what is it, the when I recognized my my own lack of information and realized that somebody else is super steeped in it, I went from trying to figure out how do I do it to how do I engage them? Mm -hmm. Uh, If not to do the task, then to give me their cheat codes. So if you've ever had to hire some professional tradesperson, you know, plumbers are my favorite. You've been wrestling with a plug toilet for days and they show up five minutes later, they hand you a $200 invoice and everything works. That's because <laughs> they need the one thing to do, right? And that's, and that's where experts shine. And so when you can shift from how do I, how do I grind through to figure out how to perform the task, the thing about who knows how to do this, mm. it's, it unlocks a whole different world. And so that idea of surrounding yourself with very effective collaborators and uh, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. You know, it's not fun always to walk in and say, hi, I'm Toby and I have absolutely no idea how this thing works, but that's why I'm here. Everybody's really welcoming when you show up like that. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I've, I've shown up to plenty of trainings or conferences and just kind of said, I'm, I'm here and I have no concept of what you people do, but I'm fascinated by it. Um, because everybody has something to teach us, yeah. you know, and, uh, I moved around today. People don't think anything of being at a, at a job for three or four months and, Time to roll on. They haven't promoted me to VP. Time for a new job, right? <laughs> um, this is the story that we Gen Xers love to repeat, and I think every generation has been the same way. Um, but the when I would I was moving about every two two and a half years for about the first decade of my career, and what I found was that every time I entered a new a new venue, and I was shifting industries too, so neither of those things were smart, you know, during that era. Um, but from a purely learning perspective, every time I'd come in, anyone else in that company knew more about the company and the culture and how it operated than I did. Hmm. So as I shifted into consulting, what dawned on me was every single person inside of this organization is a resource Hmm. that can either point me in the right direction as to who I need to speak with or help lay out the process. How do I take that very next step? It may not solve everything, but it moves you just a little bit further down the road. Mm-hmm. So if there's a secret sauce, I think it's I think it's being comfortably ignorant and then doing it with a bit of humility and kindness um, so that folks are willing to step in and, and help you understand it differently. I think that framing is really important. It's easy to let our insecurities drive us. And so to feel like, oh man, I'm walking into a room where everybody knows more than I do. And they're viewing me with the skepticism of what do I have to offer? But I love how you talk about that of um, when you walk into those situations, you're looking at everybody around you and the knowledge that they possess is, and these are, these are people that are are resources. And if you have that mindset of that, Hey, we're on the, the same team and I'm, I'm here to you know, help work us towards a common goal. These people aren't threats or, or enemies, but actually uh, these are um, really valuable assets to get us where we need to, to move forward and go. Um, I love that reframing. Of- well, and you guys have probably experienced this too. I mean, how many folks have you reached out to and they said, ah, I'm very smart, but I don't want to share. I don't like to talk about myself or share my opinions about the world. Yeah. You know, there's so many people sitting on a treasure trove of insights or they're gatekeeping a lot of information, but they don't see it that way. Yeah. And so just thinking, just inviting them to share is wildly powerful, as all your listeners would attest to. I mean, I've listened to several episodes and think, oh, my God. I need that guy's contact information. <laughs> yeah. I need them to hook me up with with that woman that was on that episode. Yeah. She's a you know a brilliant uh, uh, strategist that way. So, uh, um, yeah, there's things that we have to uniquely come to understand, right? Mm-hmm. And that's in pursuit to realizing who we want to become. But I, I don't have enough lifetimes to yeah. be able to do all these things or develop the mastery across all these all these realms. So finding very talented people that just have a have invested or gotten to a place where it feels supernatural for them. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the folks that I love to curate, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep track of all these things. And so while I don't always remember names, I'm good with faces and I'm weird. I'm weirdly good about random details. So I may not see somebody for five years, but I'll remember their kid's name. 
Yeah. I don't know their name, but I remember their yeah. kids. Name, you know, <laughs> or, or I remember that they used to live yeah. in Montana or, yeah. you know, it's, it's those little details and it, it gives us a sense of connection. And mm-hmm. I think we're all looking for that. Mm-hmm. All the money aside and the big vacations and, you know, mm-hmm. being celebrated at Sundance. Totally. Yeah, so, absolutely. There's so many things in life. We just keep chipping away at it quietly and uh, in a back room. And everybody's yeah. like, you're an overnight success. Well, yeah. Right. Ten short years to overnight success. And then one night, boom. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, I know. And that's what's, uh, it is funny. Like we talked about Hermosi earlier, but yeah. you listen to him talk about like the first four or five years of recording podcasts oh and creating content and having just, you know, first a few hundred and then a few thousand listeners. And he was kind of plateaued there for years and years. And then, yeah. It did seem like an overnight thing. Uh, Truly. Actually, it's the Grammys that always uh, kill me because um, they always have like the <laughs> best new artist award. And uh, right. there have right. been so many times where it's like, man, I've been listening to that artist for four years. But, you know, they just finally are getting wrecked. I don't know yeah. what the, the Grammy criteria for new <laughs> artist uh, is. But to your point of just like, yeah, it takes years to... Um, to often cultivate that success. And then of course, once it happens, people want to call it overnight, but. just overnight. I'd, I'd be curious because both of you guys, you know, the, the world would say your jobs are sales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Is there a habit that you focus on that helps you get sharp, stay sharp, continue to sharpen? Have you guys landed individually on singular habits that I think for me, it's a lot of the stuff that you've already said. I think it's the humility. I think it's the consistency. I think it's recognizing that there are much smarter people in the room than you. And so just that it's that, and I learned this early at US Bank when I was Mm. uh, doing small business banking. One of my, my first sales managers was like having that curious mind And that hunger, those two together, like you say, uh, it it shoots you above your your peers and your colleagues just because you are willing to do the work and you're willing to ask the questions. And so I love that. I would say that that's probably a pretty significant piece for me, just in in my journey, even in banking. What about you? Yeah, I mean that's certainly a. A big piece of humility is always kind of funny because it's like, you know, as soon as you start to talk about it, it feels like it, it disappears. So that is a piece, but... Uh, <laughs> it's uh, like a shadow. You yeah, try to grab it. You yeah, know. exactly. But um, the other one that, that I feel uh, is like almost this, uh, this irrational uh, trust or expectation that um, it mm. is all somehow going to go well. And like, I don't fully know how, it, it, uh, you know, as far as like how uh, business is going to pan out or how the, the, you know, like uh, doing the work of continuing to cultivate relationships, doing the essential tasks that I know that I need to to do. But then um, just having this, uh, this firm belief that, um, that the trajectory of life and that the trajectory of the world is uh, for all of its brokenness and issues, a generally positive one. Um, Somehow, I think that uh, that keeps me uh, moving forward in growing my business. Mm-hmm. And I don't know um, how much to, to put into just like uh, putting off a different vibe or energy or kind of attracting the, um, yeah. 
whether it's the clientele or, or success that you, uh, you know, whether it's uh, people talk like manifestation has been yeah. big in uh, vogue. And, um, and there's a lot of different ways, I think, that uh, whether it's uh, spirituality or different traditions kind of um, phrase that. But there's something too, like just what you expect or hope for tomorrow uh, kind of has a way of coming true rarely exactly how you imagine it but <laughs> so uh, but it is kind of like <laughs> right if, if you have an yeah. expectation and hope of uh of success or growing something um and you just believe even when it doesn't seem rational to believe that it's going to happen one way or another generally seems to i don't know i love i love i love <laughs> that though it's because spooky but what do you think <laughs> I would I would definitely rather be stranded on a boat with with pragmatic optimists, and by that I just mean they're optimistic because they realize there's work to be done and they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And and that blend of you know, uh, as you were saying, there's a consistency. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do the work. Strange how the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right. And the luckier I get, the more optimistic I become. Yeah. And so it's. It's a Herculean feat to think that you can shift, you know, uh, uh, huge uh, sea change events or restructure the way that the world spins by yourself. But as you start to develop relationships and find like-minded people or people that choose the same future, optimistic in the same way, it's amazing what happens. Yeah, right. There's a Martha Graham quote um, that my mother-in-law shared with me years ago. But fundamentally, it was this idea of once you commit yourself to something, the universe is prepared to marshal all of its resources and surround you with who you need at the right time. Yeah. Um, it's the indecisiveness that kills. Yeah. You know? Don't I know that? <laughs> I've been caught in that many a times. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it reminds me of a Mark Andreessen quote, probably one of his most uh, popular, and of course I'm going to uh, butcher it now, but uh, it has to do with uh, the world being an infinitely malleable place. And it, it is remarkable the number of times where you set your feet in a particular direction with a vision and a goal and how the world will kind of morph to allow that to happen and just where yeah. uh, a lot of folks flounder and where, you know, for, from time to time myself, honestly, will flounder is just having that clarity of vision of this is what I'm, I'm going after. Um, but it's, it's true. I, uh, Oh, the dirty jobs row. Yeah. Micro micro. I, I, I was watching an interview with him and he was saying, nobody sets out to be a porta potty cleaning guy. Mm-hmm. somebody discovers that it's work that needs to get done and they get in there and they do it. And all of a sudden they have a fleet of these units and a whole host of folks working for them. And they're not elbow deep every day. And I think there's, there's a, a willingness that some people have to do the things that others don't. Yeah. Right. It's willing to do the job that others won't mm-hmm. or don't. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes we all want to do what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And so your kids are probably doing the same thing that my youngest did. Once upon a time, she's like, well, but dad, I'm just going to be a TikTok star. I'm like, oh, okay. How are you going to do that? Well, on TikTok. I mean, at the time it was <laughs> right. YouTube, right? Yeah. Um, MySpace. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my... Uh... <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah my... Um, 
Yeah, ours was like yearbooks. Stay cool, <laughs> have a fun summer <laughs> with with pen and paper. That's know? right. But but it is interesting. It's one thing to say I want to be a billionaire, or I want to be a movie star, or I want to be famous. But we don't know what those things entail, mm-hmm. and that's the naive approach. And so then, how do we get closer to understanding what that means? The closer we get to truly appreciating what celebrity looks like. I think most mm-hmm. of us go, you know what? I'm going to take a pass. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the anonymity I have. It's not worth, you know, so many dragon coins, but and unless you're curious enough to explore it, how do you ever, how do you ever unpack that? Right. Well, and, and maybe in that, another question I've had for you, because you've been again around asking, learning, being yeah. around some of these awesome business owners, what's some expert advice you've heard from, before that's really completely bogus like hey yeah i've heard this and have found out this is furthest from the truth yeah the uh well you know the the age-old advice is like well just buy low and sell high (laughs) strangely it is not obvious when it's either low (laughs) or when it's high right and so uh that's a piece of advice that it's not that it's wrong it's that it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. You know, what I wanted was, how do I know what low looks like? Is today a good time to be buying homes or selling homes? I, I couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. But in a true market-making fashion, there's not a market unless you have a buyer and a seller that'll do a deal, right? Whether it's loans or right. houses or consulting engagements, software, it doesn't matter. And so figuring out how to determine what low is and what high is, is an art form. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that it is highly subjective and it tends to be very industry and situationally specific. Yeah. Right. What was a good price on a house five years ago is not an off. It's, it's not an option on the market. Right. Right. We may look back, uh, 20 years from now and think, Oh my gosh, remember how cheap it was back in the early twenties? You know, it's all relative and, and time has, it plays a big role in it. Yeah. So the, the buy low and sell high was incomplete. The other one of just stick with it. Just get it. Just grind in there, right? Yep. The, the get in there and grind it is, is also incomplete because it suggests that more of the same is going to produce a different result. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think for me personally, the, the hardest part about corporate America was you have to serve a certain amount of time. You know, there's a seasoning that takes place without regards to the quality of your work product. And so entrepreneurship or being in something that has a more direct line of sight from my effort to my reward. Yeah. um, You know, those, those, there's a certain personality that's drawn to those things. So, yeah, it's funny. I think oftentimes, um, you know, to your point about best, worst advice, right? We don't realize it at the time. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds uh if it's if it's exceptional, we usually don't appreciate it, the nuances. And and that's been my own experience. Only mm-hmm. after I try to follow it and then don't apply it effectively and then dismiss it, then I come back later and go, Oh, this is what they were trying to communicate to me. <laughs> you know? And so that what I love about the interviews that you guys are doing is that I can then listen to those episodes later and go, Right, yeah, there it is. Um, so if I don't understand the first time, it just means I need to listen to it again. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I suppose that's the, the nature of, uh, 
of all advice is that it's fundamentally proverbial, right? And so it, it is their general uh, truths. But on the bu- uh, buy low, sell high in particular, when it comes to real estate, as realtor, what's the secret? Th- 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 there's there's never a bad time to buy <laughs> or sell never real a bad estate. Time. <laughs> it's it's always the right time. That's right. <laughs> You work with a tartan team. There's never a bad time. That's, that's, right. that's right. Absolutely. You're you're always selling high and buying low with the tartan team. So shameless plug right there. That's right, Nick. If you got to charge me ad revenue for this episode, <laughs> you know where to find me. That's right. <laughs> one of the one of the the singular best pieces of advice actually comes from a movie called Layer Cake with Daniel Craig. It was one of the first movies I saw him in, and. Um, Anyway, it's it's a situation of a drug dealer trying to get out of the business, and nobody wants him out, right? There's been a series of these movies, but the big powerhouse guy says the art to business is being a good broker. Hmm. And I think so oftentimes, it's not that you have to have the money to loan to businesses, but it's being in a position to bring those parties together. Yeah. And the same is in real estate. You don't have to own all the properties that you're offering. It's just that you're creating a space for people to find what they're looking for. Yeah. And I think, you know, entrepreneurs do a really beautiful job of finding a space that they find fascinating and entertaining. And then everybody just looks at it and says, gosh, you're in the middle of all the deal flow. Hmm. You know, when, when we talk casually about stuff, I'm always curious to hear about what are your conversations, your day-to-day conversations what kind of interesting permutations are turning up? What yeah. atypical deals are coming up or problems that require more inventive solutions? That's what I get excited about is the yeah. ideas. Yeah. Um, but, but ultimately, being a good broker, being a good connector, I, I think is in the world of good advice, yeah. that's probably one of those best pieces was oh, your totally. job is to give more than you receive and be a good connector. Yeah. I don't have to have all the answers. I know smart guys like you. So, you know, if nothing else, I get a tough question. I pass it off on one of my colleagues and let them wrestle with it, you know, but it's, you invest a lot of time getting to know those people that you can trust are going to do right by those referrals. Yeah. Well, that's been such a rewarding piece to this podcast is connecting listener to guest as well as guest to guest. And yeah, seeing that like-mindedness. And I think that really speaks to the abundance piece of, you know, mm-hmm. we're better together. We're here to serve one another, like you said. And yes. we recognize that there's so many other people around who can get things done far beyond what we're capable of doing. And so that abundance piece just continues to come back. I love that. Yeah, the, the growth mindset, I think, is that however you might term it, right? Fixed versus growth is fairly popular now. But that idea that there's more than enough to go around instead of a zero-sum game where I only win a unit if you lose a unit, Mm. um, that is a lesson that was never well explained coming up, but people could model it. They, They just couldn't articulate it. And so I love that for our kids, that idea of abundance is a lot more common today. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of gratitude felt like something that only happened on Sundays at church. Mm-hmm. And today I hear people talk about gratitude in all different walks of life. And I think, yeah. wow, what a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Just to recognize that it's not that things could be worse. It's that I enjoy a lot of good fortune. Yeah. Right. And when, when you hear people talking like that, I find that attractive. Yep. You know, it's putting things into the universe and watching them come back. They do create the reality you want to live in. Um, yeah. So that's good. Yeah, I've been encouraged uh, by that that trend as I've seen that 
yeah. taking as well. And uh, it does seem there's just more mindfulness when it comes to living and uh, living in community with others and valuing the the uniqueness that that each person has to to play in a, a thriving vibrant community and yeah. um and a lot of entrepreneurship that has been built around that as well which is yeah it's 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 pretty amazing time i mean like you said like on one hand like the entrepreneurship has never been more saturated um but it's also perhaps never been a a more exciting time just in terms of uh, how hospitable the culture is towards Agreed. Uh, receiving um, new entrepreneurs that have ideas or businesses that they're designing for the, the common good of mm-hmm. the people around them. Yeah. I, I mentioned that I was a business undergrad and I remember when they started an entrepreneurship program at Boise state, my alma mater and having grown up, in that environment and seeing the hardship of small main street businesses, I thought, what in the heck are they even going to talk about? Right. You have a professor who's predominantly always been in school and then goes straight into teaching. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what they're drawing on. Mm -hmm. And the professors that initially were teaching it were academically interested, but so many of the lessons tend to be about business structure and, the create a product, position a product, right? Yeah. But so much of what we're talking about in terms of entrepreneurship is the same things that I think as a parent, I want my kids to pick up on, which is there's a giving instead of just receiving, yeah. you know, and there's a, there's a listening that is critical to learning. Yeah. Um, the abundance mindset, you know, all of those things, you could give the, you could give the same kid a million bucks and it'd be gone in a handful of years but you could teach them these things and yeah. there's not a dollar value on them, but right. it's all of the skills to, to make whatever they would choose. Yeah. So It's been great. All right. What question did I not answer with the answer you wanted? No, there, there wasn't any. <clears throat> what I'll do is I'll just transition us to our last gold nugget round. All right. How's that sound? Golden nuggets. Bring on the golden nuggets. Well, this is perfect right around dinner time. That's right. (laughs) Golden nuggets. Well, this has been absolutely awesome. Toby, it's been wonderful having you on. As always, I uh, find myself getting lost in time as we just continue to dialogue through just creative ideas and bouncing the skills and lessons learned. But we're going to start wrapping this thing up. So we're going to transition to our gold nugget round, which we always do with our guests. So we got four questions we're going to ask you. We're going to fire them your way. So the first one here is pick one of these categories in life that you're working on growing this year. So we got family, finance, faith, fitness, and future. Tell us something you're focused on and excited about here in 2024. Yeah. I love your gold round questions, guys. This is, this is fun. Uh, for me, it's been it's been about fitness, the um, the world of work, and in the middle of a of a startup. You know, the it's really easy to discover that you haven't put two feet in front of one another all day long, and working from home means that I can go all day with you know five hundred steps back and forth to the bathroom and the coffee pot, <laughs> and so. Uh, when I think about that, it's, you know, all of those are, are attributes of wealth. Yeah. And so 
I have a beautiful family that I love and I have a, a comfortable life. But what dawns on me, especially as I watch my parents in their, in their later 70s, it's that the investments I make now in my health yeah. and the habits I develop, my kids are going to be picking up on. Yep, It's going to improve their life, but I'm also going to be around for more of their life. Mm-hmm. And so when my youngest didn't show up until I was almost 40, the stork didn't find her address, I guess. <laughs> um, but all of a sudden I thought, oh my God, what if she doesn't get married and have kids until she's 40? I'm going to have to be 80 years old to hold that grandbaby? Like, yeah. You know, dementia aside, the physical <laughs> task, uh, I got to be here to be present. So fitness is, that's Love a really it. long answer. Fitness in 24 is my thing. No, that's yeah. great. That's a great one. And I think, you know, we continue to come back to, they're all just so intricately tied together. <laughs> and you, it's you so hit true. It. I mean, you just even hit the two, the family piece, the fitness piece. That's well, it's, good. The, it's the energy piece. Of the, it's the, the energy. Right. <laughs> you know, like you, you, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you know, the, the, the other, the other element that I almost said was the faith and it's talking about the gratitude, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and so oftentimes we're hung up on the things we didn't attain, yeah. mm-hmm. but everybody else is like, my gosh, look at all these other things that's you good. must be really proud of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, no, no, those are already <laughs> done. That was yesterday. That's right. So. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That's, but that's, I'm going to have to go fitness. You yeah. have to have to press in there too. I love it. <laughs> well, you've given us a couple of these here, but uh, let's get another one. If it comes to mind, what's right. a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you along your journey? Let me think for a second. You can carve out this really long pause so it. I sound smarter. <laughs> um, probably one of my favorites is it's a, I believe it's a Chinese proverb, right? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Yeah. The second best is today. Yeah. And so as I think about, you know, uh, your, your global listening audience, the, the challenge that so many people have is that they're, who am I in this corner of the world to have such big aspirations, mm. right? The answer is, you know, you have, you're as entitled as anybody else. And so that idea of, yes, we all wish we would have bought more property 20 years ago. We all wish mm. somebody would have planted the tree 20 years ago. Um, but the next best time is absolutely today. So back to the point of indecision, all you're doing with indecision is is pushing hard decisions down the road and foregoing the the necessary curing time. Mm-hmm. You know, every venue is a matter of uh, get in there, be working at it for a while, and then you just slowly accumulate. So um, we need more trees, mm. right? I love that. That's right. that's 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 solid. No, that's a good one. Good. Next one here. What's a dream or goal that you have that you've not been able to make happen yet? So interestingly, it has nothing to do with the world of entrepreneurship, but yep. um, I, uh, I do still intend between now and you know the rocking chair and iced tea every afternoon <laughs> or cocktails as it might be on the <laughs> beach. Um, but I've, I started teaching as an adjunct professor uh, just a couple of years ago. And my course is all on demand. And so all I ever hear is when people have problems, right? <laughs> but uh, I've been a guest lecturer for different friends at the university level. And I love it. And it goes back to this idea of wanting to share. Yeah. And so um, having the opportunity to teach as adjunct means that 
I get to revisit the material and be that professor that I always wanted, which was you have the firm academic basis. You know, it's grounded, it's citable. People have proven it out, Mm -hmm. but it needs to be seasoned with real world experience. And so um, early on, I thought, what a marvelous career, you know, to be an educator and cultivating and encouraging people in their learning journey. And I didn't feel like I'd earned the bona fides I wanted from a professor. And so only now at this stage of my career do I feel like I can speak with um, with both authority and the humility yeah. in a way that makes it accessible to others. In my 30s, I could have talked with all kinds of authority because I would have been talking out my hat, <laughs> right? I would have been so confident about all the things that I, I only understood maybe an inch deep. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I know so many things at an inch and a half level, <laughs> there's a new level of humility in it. So You got all kinds of things to teach now. I got all kinds of, yeah, a thousand ways not to do That's right. so many things. That's good. Well, last one here. At the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? You'd think you didn't give me these questions in advance, huh? Um, at the end of my life. You know what? I think it's 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 mostly that the time spent together was well spent. Mm-hmm. And we often think about that with regards to family and friends. Yeah. But we spent an enormous amount of time waking hours as adults with our colleagues. Right. With our customers, you know. And so too often we forget that when people come to us in a professional uh, context, we are performing, right? We're performing a service, we're performing a task, but we are performing. And being a performer and showing up effectively and giving them a memorable experience, if that's not job one, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. And so I would hope that at the end of my life, people would say, you know what, I was glad to have had some time with him. I wish he knew how to juggle, but aside from that, he was a pretty good guy. (laughs) That's good. I love uh, so much of what we've discussed uh, here and just been gold. Um, But those last uh, two responses in particular, I think uh, really encapsulate a lot of uh, who you are and the the unique uh, value that you bring and why so much of the reason why we wanted to have you on is because um, it's uh, it's not merely about... um, the uh, the success or the number of accolades that you can put up on a wall or the number of zeros in a in a bank account all of those things are nice none of those are, are bad or wrong uh, but that there's a, a further impetus to uh, want to give to want to share uh, what it is that you've um, learned um, certainly through the uh, the teaching that you're doing now but even greater uh, aspirations to do that uh, further um, and then, yeah, just that whole spirit that you captured of of leaving the people in places uh, that you've been in better than you you found them, and I think that's um, that's so much of what good entrepreneurship ought to be. And uh, so, really grateful for everything that you've shared for taking the time to Absolutely. to sit down with us. Um, if Thanks people for having me, oh yeah, this has been. I still don't know why, but I'm, I appreciate <laughs> well, you guys <laughs> inviting me on the show. You know, I, I feel like I've said this uh, genuinely on the the last uh, few episodes, but I mean, we will need to do a follow up because you, you've alluded to the startup, but we didn't get into it. It's very all, stealthy. You know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, it's it's totally in stealth 
mode right now. But as soon as you're ready to unveil it all, you know, uh, the Abundant Journey podcast will be the place to do it. That's right, Please, that's right. We, we want to have uh, exclusive access. Um, but seriously, I mean, there, there's still uh, so much more that, that we could have uh, talked about. Um, in the meantime, Anywhere that people should try and connect with you, you active on LinkedIn or any platforms like that, or if they wanted to get in touch, where would you send them? You bet. I have, yeah, I have all of the footprints. Cool. Right. <laughs> um, you're not going to find me on TikTok. No, you're not doing. The I dances do most of my dancing. The... It has a higher cost threshold. Okay. So. <laughs> Um, I'm also not on OnlyFans, if that's what you might be thinking. Um, You'd be the first uh, link that we'd have on there. <laughs> maybe I need to set up an account. Maybe yeah, that's what maybe I'm missing. So. We'll, we'll no, let you, know, you what? know what kind of demand we get through the. Uh, <laughs> okay. Through our let's, let's gauge the feedback. That'll yeah, be our test, yeah, our hypothesis right. here. You know, the, the best way, I think, is LinkedIn, and I'll tell you why. And it's that I view LinkedIn as a way for me to share all the incredible people that I know. And. It, traditionally, and I would still say probably 70% of my contacts are people I have a, some kind of relationship with. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've been inundated like all of us, you know, with yep. random spammers. Yep. But um, what I love about LinkedIn is that if you're trying to make a connection or if you're trying to learn, and I think that's really who we're, we're talking to, right, is people that are hungry to learn, there's no better way than to reach out and say, hey, Toby, how do I get in touch with Nick? Or, hey, Nick, how do I get in touch with, yep. I don't want to talk to Toby, but I want to talk to that other guy. Yep. So LinkedIn is powerful that yeah. way. That's where I'd invite people to, to join me. Right on. Well, we'll include a, a link in the show notes right. to your profile there. That sounds and great. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, listeners also be sure to check out AbundantJourney.net. There's a link at the top of the page that'll take you to our newsletter, which um, is we'll be going big on that this year as well uh anything else that you got for us mr nick james no we uh we got more more episodes lined up we're gonna keep them coming we always enjoy these conversations i think maybe i would add listeners you get the flavor of what we're doing and who we're talking to so if anybody else comes to mind that is in your circle and you say hey this person needs to be on the show to share their story and their wisdom We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from them. So be sure to include that and and send us an email from the website. 100%. I love it, guys.